you're not going to manipulate me. You're going to go to bed. She goes, I mean, like, like the devil, dude, all over me, man. So now, because our house used to have all tile, I'm like slipping in her vomit, trying to pick her up. She threw up like eight times. It's like by the time girls by the college. time we get to the bathroom, literally there's a trail of <laughs> death vomit, and she's crying. And now I feel bad because I didn't listen to her, and so I just like this legit feels like taking my roommates home in college. Sorry. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm Justin Pardee. I'm going to be your ignorance ambassador for this week's episode. <laughs> I have read Luke 22, all 70 chapters, and I got a lot of questions. Oh, verses. 70 verses. See? Well, that's yeah. okay. Well, you were just fulfilling your role. Is that, how, is that how the Bible works, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am Stephanie Keen, and I'm here to try to keep this train on the rails, but no guarantees. Yes, please do. And uh, over here in the corner, we've got uh, in black, Pastor Matt Brown. What's yeah. up, man? Fresh off my surf trip in Hawaii, ready mm-hmm. to roll. And you have a, you said you have a sunburned neck. Yes. Because just the angle that I was laying on the beach. Mm-hmm. I have I have so much pity like... just oozing out of my heart for you right mm-hmm. now. That's, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, we feel real bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a good trip. I took my nephew on a man trip. That's so awesome. That's where he wanted to go. So we bonded. Congratulations, awesome. buddy. Thank you. So here's the deal, guys. We are continuing to do great. It's been another good season for incredible reviews. We want to say thank you to all By of you. Season, you mean like a week? Well, yeah, yes. Okay. But I want to, I want to, sorry, speak into and encourage those <laughs> who right. have been joining it's the been movement. It's been a great season. Yeah, exactly. And this is not just a podcast; it's a movement. Okay, <laughs> oh listen. God. This one came from Bereka Joe. I'm so happy this podcast exists. Pastor Matt answers questions I didn't even know I had. Whoa, wow. dude! Can you tell the future, bro? That's amazing. No. Okay, listen, this is from Esther Kangaroo. Ooh, who love says, that name, Esther. <laughs> yes. oh, I thought you were saying Kangaroo. No, I love Esther. Okay, Esther Kangaroo. Kangaroos Esther, are scary. Esther I wonder kangaroo. if kangaroo is her middle name. That's kangaroos will box you in your face. Awesome. They will. Yeah, dude, smash a kangaroo, dude. True, Esther Kangaroo says, truly is food for the soul, and it has been a satisfying meal every time. Well, yeah, that's because we like, talk about food so Yeah, much. I like that. I like that analogy, Esther. Dude, this Simone Scissorhands, I've learned more about the Bible from this podcast than I have in my entire life. Incredible. And one last this is listen just go with me on this this came from willdog.com says i really enjoy justin's breakdown of food perhaps a spin-off food podcast hosted by justin hmm. Here's i don't know we need to lead you not into temptation there, i want to formally invite you guys to co-host this podcast with me <laughs> every single week after we record the debrief we go get some food kelly you'll bring these microphones and then we'll just talk about the experience right on okay oh gosh but then all the eating sounds in the microphones I don't know about this. It'll be I'm awesome. sorry. It'll be awesome, guys. Let's at least let's at least try it once. And instead okay. of lunch, let's just go for donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I hate donuts. What? Sorry. <laughs> Man. Donuts is like the worst thing you can possibly eat. It's carbs, deep fried, covered in sugar. Man, you sound like this Air Force colonel I used to work with. Every time I'd eat a donut, he goes, how's those fat pills going? Like, so you used to work with it? Like you were not in the Air Force? He was a retired, no, he was a retired Air Force colonel that okay. worked in. Yeah, like if you, you if and you can former give up, Air Force individuals have had a bad if run. If you can give up one food, donuts would be the food. Mm-hmm. Give it up. Oh. <laughs> We're not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's that's like driving me into some deep contemplation. Well, all right. Speaking of deep contemplation, we have some really great follow up questions uh, from the last couple of episodes. So uh, let's jump right into it here. Uh, so this question came from Jesse, who asked this: How will there be no sorrow or crying in heaven? 
if some people that we love don't get saved. Yeah. So what, you know, if we haven't got to the book of revelation yet, but when you look at revelation, um, as God pours out his wrath on unrepentant believers, what's interesting is every time God pours out a cup of wrath on, on the people of the earth, it says that they do not repent and they continue to reject God. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately what we're going to see is we're going to see our loved ones continually and habitually reject, reject, reject a gracious, loving God who actually pours out wrath for the purpose of drawing people to repentance, and they don't. Their hearts continue to grow harder and harder and harder to the point where we're going to agree with God over even our own loved ones because God's justice will be so righteous. And, 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 we, and we realize he, he has to do this because it is the right thing to do. And so, um, you know, there may be some sorrow, but ultimately God is going to wipe that away, whatever that is. But I think ultimately God is just and his decrees are righteous and we're going to see that. Is it just that the like the goodness of being with God and experiencing like his new kingdom and things the right way kind of will overshadow any potential for the sorrow? Yeah, but I, I think we need to be reminded that God's heart is broken too over unrepentant people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And um, his heart is that all men would come to repentance. And that's why he is so slow in coming. He's waiting. You know, Peter mm-hmm. says that he is waiting for all those um, to get saved who are going to get saved. And so God is slow to anger and he's loving and he's kind, but ultimately he's also just. And so, you know, there, there may be momentary sadness that has to be wiped away. And so, um, you know, again, that's the last chapter in the book of Revelation is that, you know, death is defeated and t- our tears are wiped away. So mm-hmm. there may be a momentary uh, moment of sorrow, oh, yeah. but ultimately in the new creation, those, those memories will be either set right or, or taken away. Mm-hmm. All right. This next follow-up question is from Debbie. And she mentions that Luke 20 talks about our new bodies and she's asking, she's thinking about getting cremated when she dies. Is that a sin or is that not okay? Yeah. And so the church is divided on this issue. You know, I have some good friends that, you know, are passionately against cremation and they have all kinds of reasons why. Um, but ultimately the, here's the reality. If you buried yourself in the traditional manner, you know, in the ground, or in a pine wood box for mm-hmm. most of human history, within a matter of a year or two, there's nothing left of your body. And so um, so really everybody is cremated. The Bible says from dust you came to dust you return. Mm-hmm. And so cremation to me is just expediting that process. And I don't think it's, um, I don't have any problem with it. You know, ultimately, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have a problem with cremation. Um, but some people do. And so that's just an issue as a church that we don't take a stand on. Some people are very passionate one way or the other. Uh, I think ultimately it doesn't matter, you know, what happened to the person that got eaten by a shark, you know? I mean, God's gonna bring all of that back somehow, some way. Right. And remember, he created us from nothing. He can figure out a way to collect, you know, our DNA from wherever it is on earth. He can figure out a way to bring it back together so that we rise. Got it. Okay, so let's jump into Luke chapter 22. We gotta get into this because... This, it's a long one. Yes, there are seriously 70 chapters, so many questions. Yeah, exactly. We got four questions right off the bat on one little chunk alone. Verses three and four um, basically say that at this uh, time, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captives of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. So James T. wrote in and he said, uh, was Judas ever really a righteous man or was he always bad? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you look at what, the, what, you know, Romans three says is we're all bad. So, you right. know, for all of sin and fall, all fall short of the glory of God. So even our good deeds, even the good things we do usually are done out of one of two reasons. One is fear. We don't want to get caught. So we do the right thing. Or number two, it's pride because we think, well, I would do the right thing. And, and both of those motivations are sin. So the, the cross not only saves us from what we've done wrong, but it saves us from the things we've done right. Because mm-hmm. even the things we've done right, we don't do f- for the right reasons and the right motives. And yeah. so none of us are righteous. On, only God is completely good. That doesn't mean that there isn't elements of goodness in people um, as as some people hold you know that position. I believe that there's an element of goodness in us. That's why God considers us worthy of redemption. And so, you know, I think... Judas is a, a legitimate disciple. I think he is legitimately drawn to Jesus, as are many people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they walk with him for a time. But for whatever reason, at some point, Judas became unenamored with Christ and fell back. You know, think about the parable of the sower. You know, the seed goes out. Um, some seed falls on rocky soil. Some seed is is taken by the bird, which is Satan. You know, Judas is, falls into one of those two categories. Mm-hmm. Either, you know, his... When the seed was scattered, he was either hard soil, or in this case, it seems that the bird came and snatched it, it up, and he didn't have an opportunity, uh, or not an opportunity, but he didn't ultimately give his life completely over to Christ. And I think he just thinks Christ is crazy at this point. It doesn't make any sense. There's a couple of times in Scripture where he's critical of what Jesus allows um, to happen, specifically a woman who anoints his feet with oil. He's incensed, says that money could have been given to the poor. And so he really questions the role of leadership, you know, in Jesus and how he leads and why he leads. And so I think he was a legitimate disciple who fell away, as are a lot of Christians. They, they walk with God for a while. The book of Hebrews talks about that. They taste of the Holy Spirit. They participate in the kingdom of God. But somehow, in some way, it just never sinks into the point where they truly become a born-again believer and they fall away. And Judas, uh, unfortunately, in this instance, not only does he reject Christ— and ultimately reject being filled with the Holy Spirit, but he actually is filled with Satan, which is yeah, terrifying. Yeah, what's going on with this whole thing where it says Satan entered into Judas' yeah. spirit? Yeah, so the Gospel of Luke, right, we, we've talked about this. You need to go back, I think it was episode four or five, where we talked about demon possession. Mm-hmm. But we need to remember that as human beings, we're gloves. We, we're, we're, we're containers, I guess that's the better thing. And we're, we're made to be filled, just like a glove is made to be filled by hand and is useless without that. Human beings are made to contain more spirits than our own. So we can contain the Holy Spirit or we can be full of demonic spirits. And it says here that Satan entered him. We also are going to see this in, um, I think it's Acts 4 or 5, I can't remember, but it's Ananias and Sapphira. Mm-hmm. And Ananias lies to the church about the offering that he gives. And oh, yeah. Peter says, Satan, why has um, Satan filled your heart? And so the same thing happens. And death results in both instances. So Ananias is struck dead by God. Ultimately, Judas is going to hang himself and commit suicide because he's so overwhelmed with grief for the betrayal of Jesus. But, you know, he allows himself to be used as a tool and spawn of Satan. And um, I think your next question is, why would Satan have done this? It's because Satan didn't completely understand the whole plan of God. So when we read, like, especially in Ephesians, if you go and read Ephesians this week, just circle the word mystery. Hmm. And you're going to see the word mystery over and over and over again. And so what, what is the book of Ephesians about? It's about the revealed mystery of God. And what is the mystery that's revealed? It's that Jesus Christ was God's plan to save the earth and, and those who believe in him through his death and resurrection. And it was a mystery that has now been revealed 
But you know, even the prophets of old, Paul says, didn't understand this. Angels didn't fully understand it, but longed to see it. And so Satan, although he understands a lot, doesn't understand everything. And so ultimately in trying to end Christ's reign, ultimately what he does is he, he brings it about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way it is. When you, try, when you try to reject God's plan, all you're doing ultimately is bringing it about faster because no one can stop God's plan. Yeah. I've actually got a question here from Rick who asked, like in the case of Judas, was he really like a pawn being used by God to fulfill? Yeah, so there's there's two theological issues at play here. And so um, churches get confused on both of these issues. One is the sovereignty of God. And so that what that means is, is that God does what God does. And so, um, you know, those tends to be Calvinists and they believe that, you know, God is orchestrating everything, you know, literally picking out absolutely everything. Those who are saved, those who are condemned. I mean, everything is completely organized, God, all the way down to the minutia of details. And then you have Arminians who believe in uh, free choice, you know, free will. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll see this, like if you ever drive by a church, it says free will Baptist church. And what that means is they, they believe that you have a choice and you make a choice. And so what the Bible teaches, and the reason why there's confusion is the Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches that God is completely in control, mm-hmm. that he's electing, that he's predestining, that he is choosing people. That is all the way through scripture. You're gonna see it heavily in the book of Acts. When we get to the book of Acts, all those preordained, come to Christ. You're going to see that over and over and over again. So here, yes, Judas has been selected as the one to fall. But we also see here though, is that he is responsible for his choice. And so somehow in some way, and I can't explain this, God chooses and we choose. And those two things work together without violating one another. I can't explain it. There's a lot of things in the Bible I can't explain, but somehow God's sovereignty is not, um, thwarted and our choice is not thwarted. We, we, we are allowed to choose and somehow, some way those two things work together. And any church that overemphasizes one over the other, they emphasize election over choice or choice over election, I think are divorcing themselves when, from the scripture teaches. The reason that churches are divided over this issue really for the last 400 years is scripture teaches both. And we don't understand exactly how it works and to try to explain it is maddening. But Judas is both a pawn and chooses to be upon. Hmm. Somehow those two things work together. Here, here, here's the core issue. Is Judas responsible for his choice? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, he is guilty of, of probably the greatest sin ever committed. He betrays his friend, Jesus Christ, who loved him, who cared for him. Uh, betrayal is an awful sin. It is an ugly sin. Um, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, you know, Christians say stupid things like all sins are the same. Mm-hmm. That's not a biblical concept. That's a stupid modern Christian concept that people say over and over again. Jude, Judas is guilty of a horrific sin. Uh, so in Dante's, um, is it Dante's Inferno? I can't remember. I haven't read it in a while, but it's the, you know, the different levels of hell. Yeah. And when he gets down to the bottom, there's three people at, at the last level of hell. And it's uh, Brutus and Cassius who betray their friend Caesar, mm-hmm. stab him in the back and it's Judas. Hmm. Those are the three people on the lowest, most awful level of hell. Because again, go back to Luke 12, not all judgment is the same. And I'm not saying Dante is inspired word of God. It's just an allegory, uh, a picture, so to speak, a story uh, indicating that there are levels of hell and that suffering will be specific to the sins that you committed. So... Okay, so this whole next chapter or section of the chapter is all about this Last Supper, which opens up in verses 10 through 12. And uh, Jesus is giving some instructions here, and he goes, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. 
At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So what's up with these kind of, I can tell the future or answers and directions that Jesus is giving, right? He did this with a donkey before. Right. Yeah. So, so what it's showing is that Jesus is a prophet, but, but it also shows he's more than a prophet. So in the old Testament, prophets will prophesy about the future, but they will say, thus saith the Lord. Jesus doesn't say, thus saith the Lord. Hmm. So he is like a prophet in that he can foretell the future, but he is unlike a prophet because he doesn't know the future because God has given some special power or gift to him, but he is God and has these special powers and or gifts. And so what's interesting is, um, you know, he could have prearranged this with this person because it is a bit unusual that this individual would set up a Passover meal mm-hmm. and not have preconceived plans. Like, for example, you're not going to set up Thanksgiving dinner at your yeah. house hoping that someone Somebody might stop by. Right. You're going to set up Thanksgiving a Thanksgiving meal knowing who your guests are. So Jesus may have prearranged this, but what's interesting is says he, you will see a guy in the town carrying a jar of water. And to us, that doesn't seem mm-hmm. random at all, but only women carry jars. So okay. this is even weirder. Back in those days, men carried purses. So they would have carried a uh, leather purse a full purse. of water. So kind of like a, yes. kind of think of like a, a cool canteen. You know, canteens were made of leather pouches. All right. So men carried those before canteens like were invented. Purse. Yeah, yeah manly purse. Indiana Jones of <laughs> hydration yeah. right now. Yeah. So, so it would have, but it would have been socially bizarre for a man to be carrying a jar of water. And so that's why the, he says, look for that guy. Because um, it. It, it would be, it would be a little weird. Like maybe uh, 20 years ago, look for a guy carrying a purse. Nowadays, not so weird. 20 years ago (laughs) would have been random and and it would have been easy to identify a man carrying a purse. And so so the disciples know exactly who to go to. But that is amazing that Jesus knows Mm -hmm. that they're going to see this because Jesus knows the future. Mm -hmm. And not all of it, but, but, but some of it because not... When he became a human being, he did limit himself. Mm-hmm. So go to Philippians 2, uh, chapter or chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and it talks about him emptying himself. So as much of God that can possibly fit into a human being is the power that Christ has. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, he's limited based upon how much of his deity can be compressed into his humanity. And so he knows a lot of things, but he doesn't know everything. Like, for example, he doesn't know when he's returning mm-hmm. because he says only the father knows. And he's going to tell us that in Acts 1. Yeah, that was the thing that really stuck out to me about this little version of telling the future is that, I mean, the whole last chapter he was telling the future, but it was like really long-term stuff about his kingdom, about his death and all of that, which is, right. Th- this is now just kind of nitty-gritty specifics. Stuck, stuck out to me is pretty yeah. interesting. Uh, just for the record also, if I were to set up a Thanksgiving meal, I'd be hoping nobody comes over we and I'll, I'll just handle the gravy myself. We're not, we're not <laughs> stepping anywhere near that table. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to do your funeral for free. <laughs> I love you, brother. Sounds right. good. Jesus is going to keep talking about eating. But actually. it will be a life well lived. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Keeping that train on the rails. Um, Jesus continues talking about this Passover meal and he says, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This may be overly practical, but does that mean that there isn't eating or drinking in heaven? Maybe earmuffs. Justin. I was going to say, I'd like to point out that Stephanie is bringing this question. I am. Not me. You know, after you do Justin's funeral, is he going to get to eat in heaven? Yeah. And so, you know, well, there's a couple things here. So I'll answer your question and then I'll try to tell you what the passage means, which I, which I think we're missing in the question. So. Okay. You know, will will there be food in heaven? Probably not, because I don't believe that we'll be embodied in heaven. I don't think that we'll have physical bodies, right. so we won't need to eat in heaven. But here's the good news. 
Justin, there will be eating on the new earth. The new earth. Heck yeah, dude. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to, and this is what the point is. He's saying, I'm not going to eat this Passover meal again with you until I come into my kingdom. And here's what's amazing and exciting for you. You know, the Passover meal was like their Thanksgiving meal. It was the biggest meal. It was the biggest deal of culture. And Jesus is saying, we're going to eat like this in the new kingdom, Mm -hmm. you know, on the new earth. So we're going to feast. We're going to enjoy and maybe there'll be zero calories, so you'll be able to yeah, enjoy exactly. it and That's not right. worry about, about the consequences. Right. No tears, so you won't cry afterwards because right. you ate too much. So it's going to be awesome. So, um, is Jesus specifically referring to the like to the Passover meal? Yeah. Like, do you think and, that's something that will continue to be celebrated? Yeah. And I, I think that that's part of what we'll do in on the new earth is we're remembering what Christ saved us from. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the Passover meal? It's remembering how God saved the Israelites from slavery. So how will we enjoy the Passover meal on the new earth? I think that we will remember not just that God saved the Israelites from slavery from Egypt, but how he saved us all from slavery from earth and from sin. And so the the Passover, right? Everything in the Old Testament is pictures of things to come. You know, they're, they're pictures. So the ark uh, in, the, uh, in the temple is a picture of the ark in heaven. So mm-hmm. all of these things are, you know, Kind of micro-sized versions of of what it is in heaven, and um, so it's pretty it's pretty cool. So we're gonna eat, we're gonna feast. I mean, Jesus is constantly talking about the great banquet, and remember, he's speaking to people who don't eat a whole lot. Right? They don't get invited to banquets, they don't get invited to parties, and he's telling me, telling them, "You're going to feast with me. We're going to party together. This is going to be incredible." So Jesus takes the bread and the wine from the Passover meal, and he uses that, and he turns that into what we now celebrate and celebrated this last weekend as communion or the Lord's Supper. What's the importance of the bread and the wine there? Because I think Catholic teaching is that as soon as you put it in your mouth, it turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. Yeah. So, you know, any anytime you see a covenant instituted, you know, into uh, in, in the Old Testament, God says, this is something I'm going to do. This is something you're going to do. And it's pretty powerful all the way when you go back to, I think it's Genesis 12 with, um, it's Genesis 12 or 16, I can't remember, but it's Abraham and God instituting the first covenant. And he says, um, you know, we're going to kill this animal and I'm going to walk through. And so there's bloodshed to to, uh, initiate this initial covenant. And so what's interesting here is this covenant is God dying. Mm -hmm. So we're not killing an animal to symbolize and to, uh, formalize this covenant, but actually God's dying. And so the bread is a symbol that his body was broken for us. So uh, in, the, in the first Abrahamic covenant, the animal is torn in two okay. and God walks through it. And so what's interesting here is God is torn in two. Not only physically is he, is he ripped apart, but on the cross, the son and the father are ripped apart. And so it's, it's very, very powerful. And so um, he's instituting this new covenant. And so the bread symbolizes his broken body that was broken for us. And the blood symbolizes the blood of his new covenant. And so in the Passover meal, they drank red wine. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, all you Baptists, it wasn't grape juice. They drank red wine. I'm not sorry um, about it. Yeah. So Baptists <laughs> are all upset because Jesus has a drinking problem. But anyways, um, they, they celebrated remembering, you know, the blood that was put on the doorposts. And so the, um, the, the blood in the cup. And at some point there becomes four cups in the Passover Seder, Nobody knows why. Anybody that says they know where those, no one, no one knows why. At some okay. point, cups just appear, and so by the time you know Jesus is around, and really the oldest known source of the four cups is actually the Gospels. So oh. the, the the most ancient Jewish sources of this are actually not as old as the Gospel accounts. Hmm. And so 
a lot a lot of what Jews know about their faith comes from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's just amazing because they completely reject him. But a lot of what they know about ancient Judaism comes from the gospels because Jesus is a Jew, all the 12 disciples are Jews. It's completely a Jewish story until ultimately the gospel goes forth. Um, so we believe at Sandals Church, you know, if you're Catholic, they teach you that, um, and the Catholics have softened their position on this a little bit, but they teach that the, the bread is actually the body of Jesus Christ and the blood is, or the wine is actually the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think the disciples would have understood that. For example, if I, if I tear a piece of bread and I say, this is my body, I think that you both know that it's not my body because yeah. I, I'm still here, you're yeah. eating bread. And so what it does mm-hmm. is it symbolizes his sacrifice and we remember this. Uh, and that's not to say that Christ can't be present somehow in the Lord's Supper, that he can't be spiritually present, but it's still bread and it's still wine or it's still grape juice. Or at Sandals, we eat grapes because no cleanup with the cups. But um, uh, it symbolizes his broken body and his blood that he shed for us on the cross. And as Christians, we need to remember this. Whenever we're having a tough time, we're going through heartache, we're going through difficulties, we need to come back to the Lord's Supper because no matter what we're going through, it's nothing compared to what he went through. Hmm. And he went through it voluntarily for us. Hmm. And um, it's only because he died on the cross that we're ever gonna get to go to be with Jesus and, and be in heaven and on the new earth because without him, we're all majorly hosed. Yeah. So you were describing the bread and the wine and even the animal that got cut into is what they did to kind of put the new the covenants in place. So my understanding of a covenant is kind of like an agreement. What exactly is the new covenant that got put into place through the breaking of Jesus's body? Right. So another word for covenant is marriage, right? When, when you get married, you're entering into a marital covenant. So it's a legal binding agreement. Mm-hmm. And so the new covenant is, think of it this way, how do we get married to God to be with him forever? So the new heaven and the new earth is about this great wedding ceremony where Jesus will marry his bride, the church, and we will come together and be with God forever. And so that's the great wedding ceremony that it's everybody's waiting. And think about a wedding, right? It's a big party. It's a big celebration. It's going to be awesome. Uh, historically, you put out your very best. Mm-hmm. Everyone's in their best clothes, best food. You spend an enormous amount of money on this event because it celebrates the joining of two individuals. And so that's what the great party in in, uh, in heaven and on the new earth is gonna be, is God being with us forever. And so a covenant is a marital agreement, and that's the best way to describe it. It's really the only picture that we have of this uh, today. And so it's just a binding agreement between two parties. And so a biblical covenant is a binding agreement between God and us. So the new covenant is this, that if I repent of my sins and place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I will be completely forgiven of my sin. I will not be condemned, but I will be forgiven and I will be with Jesus forever. That's the new covenant. That's the new promise. That's the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. See, every other religion is you try to earn your way to heaven and hope for the best. No matter what religion they are, if they're honest, they're all saying, I'm I'm hoping. Mm -hmm. We're not hoping, we believe, we know because our faith is not in our works, but in Christ's works. And so every other religion is do this, do this, do this, do that. Christianity is done. Mm-hmm. Jesus did it. It's finished. It's over. And that's the new covenant. That's awesome. Okay, so continuing on in this meal, Jesus says in verses 21 through 23, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? 
And the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. So I went up to Sandals Church Woodcrest to attend service this weekend, and then I listened to Pastor Adam Workman's sermon on the podcast uh, yesterday. And both of these guys talked about how Judas probably would have been a really trusted member of the disciples because he was handling all the finances and right. stuff. Did any of the other disciples see this coming with Judas? Yeah, no, that none of them had a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, because Jesus treated Judas just like he treated them all. He loved him, cared for him, uh, ministered to him. You know, and if you're if you have your Bibles, just really underline those words. What sorrow awaits? He's warning him. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to do this. See, Judas still has a choice. Mm-hmm. He's still responsible. Don't do this, Judas. But ultimately, Judas, you know, and what's interesting in Luke 22 is they all fail. Judas fails by betraying Jesus, which is the worst sin possible, right? He betrays Jesus. The disciples fail because right after this, they have a discussion about who's the most awesome. And then Peter fails. He says, I don't even know him. And again, why? Why do we need the new covenant? Because none of us, not even the 12, think about it, the 12 disciples who will judge the earth not even they're good enough. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not even good enough. I mean, read the Bible, read about the righteous people, read about Abraham, terrible husband, read about David, adulterer, murderer, read, it, read about these people yeah. that are, you know, pinnacles of our faith. They're totally morally corrupt in some way. And here the disciples, even they fall apart, which by the way, for all those who believe that the, the scripture, you know, isn't inspired and isn't accurate, why on earth would the disciples include their total moral bankruptcy in the story. Why right. would they include that, right? Key spiritual moment. Yeah. I feel I mean, like all of us read it like, they're with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, I, if I would have wrote it, I would have been like, and Matt Brown was Captain Awesome. You know, <laughs> but no. Stephanie sat quietly in the corner and did not participate in the yeah. conversation. Yeah, That's that would have been Stephanie. Written. And Stephanie felt like it was really wrong. Yeah, you but know. she didn't say anything. Yeah, but she didn't say anything. She didn't speak <laughs> up. Justin was eating, so yeah, he, he, was, he missed it. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was like, this is great bread. Yeah. Could I get a second cup? Somebody's we're judging Justin for how much bread he was eating. Yeah. Like, okay, this is kind of a random question. If if Jesus is giving Judas kind of an out here, Mm -hmm. would he have just turned himself in, do you think? Like, because he needed this to happen, right? If Judas hadn't betrayed him. Well, and again, these were the two things coincide in a way that we don't understand. Judas has a choice, Mm -hmm. and yet... God knows. God knows, and God has chosen Judas to betray Mm -hmm. him. How those two things work together, good luck with that. (laughs) All right, fair enough. All right, up next... Um, In verses 25 through 27, it says, In this world, kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leaders should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. So clearly that's Jesus' response to the disciples asking who's going to be greatest. But how do we kind of respond to this and both choose to take the lowest rank, but also step into leadership when we need to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think as Christians, we are to model what servant leadership looks like. So Jesus talks about the world, right? They tell us they're serving us. They they, they call themselves, the actual word in the Greek is benefactor. Like, you know, I, I lord it over you, but I'm your benefactor. I'm really in this for your benefit, but the reality is they're horrible leaders. And so that's what worldly leaders do is, is they always tell us how they're helping us, but in reality, they're using us. You know, I think about, you know, so many of the ghettos in America today and, and the poorest people and, and mm-hmm. especially people of color and, ethnic, eth, you know, ethnic people that have just been manipulated for literally 50 years. And these politicians, 
you know, every four years come around and I'm going to help you and I'm so awesome and I'm here for you. And the reality is they're using those people and mm -hmm. it's so sad and it's so tragic. Jesus says in the church, people should not be used. And so, um, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, some of my deepest heartache in life has been just the reality of this teaching. But if you're a person who wants to be used of God, this is harsh. You're going to have to just accept the fact that you will be used by people. Hmm. One of the things that I, that has been the most hurtful thing in my life is seeing how people use me. And when they're done with me, they leave. So maybe hmm. they need me for marriage counseling, for advice, for whatever. They use me and then they leave. As a Christian leader, if we say, I want to be used by God, that means we're going to be used by people. So being used by God's a good thing. Being used by people is a painful thing. And so Jesus, right, is used. Hmm. And, and so we need to remember that. And so he's just saying, look, leadership in the kingdom is about being used. You're there for the people. You love the people. You care for the people. And ultimately, you know, you're not in it for what you can get out of it. You're in it for what you give. And that's really, really hard. And that's why I think so many of these pastors that we see, you know, they get wrapped up into wealth and finances and sexual affairs and all this stuff, because at some point in time in their ministry, they switched and they started using people for their own desires and their own benefits. And, and that's just tragic because that's not what Christ has called us to do. And ultimately in the next kingdom, I think they're going to, um, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to regret their, their choice because my reward is not from what the church can pay me. My reward is from what Christ will give me. Mm-hmm in the coming kingdom. And, and so I think as Christians, we need to lead, we, we need to lead, we need to exercise authority. Um, and I would say you need to exercise in one of two ways. So some people struggle with pride. Some people struggle with fear. I tend to be a fearful leader and I need to step up more and exercise authority. I've had leaders at our church in the past, pastors who their core sin is more pride and they need to constantly humble themselves and take a step back. And so you need to figure out as a leader, What's my struggle? Do I lean towards fear or do I lean towards pride? And leaders tend to lean one way or the other. And so if you're prideful, you gotta be very, very careful. But if you're fearful, you, got, you gotta step up. And so I think the balance here is you still gotta lead. You still gotta tell people the truth, but what is the motivation for your leadership? Hmm. And so my motivation needs to be loving God's people and serving his church. And if that's not my motivation, then I need to get out of ministry. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yes, you need to lead. Absolutely, you need to lead. Man, that's great. Um, okay, so Jesus is moving towards the end of this mealtime, verses 28 through 30. He's talking to his followers, his disciples here. And he says, you've stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we've talked before about how there will be different levels of reward when we get to the new earth for followers mm -hmm. of Jesus. Is that what he's referring to here? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's not just levels, you know, it's, it's, it's leadership. So, I mean, how, how is Christ going to rule the earth? He's going to rule the earth through kings, through queens, with leadership, you know, and and those of us who have served faithfully will exercise great levels of leadership. And so within the kingdom, it's not that you have your kingdom, you know, so like think of Rome. So Rome was the kingdom, mm -hmm. but within that kingdom, right? Herod had a kingdom, you know, Pilate oversaw a kingdom. Mm -hmm. All these little subsets of kingdoms operated under the authority of Rome, but they exercised authority 
and power and rule and reign. And so that's what it will be like. And so what he's saying here is, guys, stay faithful to me. And remember, right, Judas is sitting there. You're going to give up a kingdom for 30 pieces of silver? That's what you're going to do? Hmm. You're missing out. Think about that. I mean, what what if hell for Judas for all eternity is just a stare at those 30 coins? Hmm. And he sees everything that he lost out on. Here you go. That's what you wanted. There's your 30 coins. Maybe he has to drag it with him everywhere he goes. I don't know, but that's, that's what you want. That, that's what you worship. That's what you love, right? Here you go. And, uh, and I think what hell will be for a lot of people is God's going to give them what they always wanted. Enjoy forever, and it's going to suck. So I, I think we're going, to, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. The apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, we're going to judge the world. We're going to exercise authority over the world and not only over the world, but angels. Mm-hmm. We will judge angels. We will operate as kings and as queens under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's what we need to understand as Christians. We are heirs, you know, like, so like Donald Trump, right, is running for president and, and his kids are all getting all of this attention now. Kids we never heard about. Mm-hmm. And what's being talked about is, is their wealth, all of his children are extraordinarily wealthy. Why? Because they're his kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's a negative example of that. But think about that in the kingdom. We're going to be extraordinarily wealthy. Why? Because we are the sons and daughters of the, of the king. Mm-hmm. Of the king. And how wealthy is God? Revelations 21 says the streets of the new Jerusalem are paved with gold. They don't use asphalt. <laughs> they use gold. That's how wealthy God is, right? Blow mm-hmm. your mind. Mm-hmm. There, is, there has never been a kingdom in the history of the world that had enough money to pave the streets with gold. It has not existed. Right. Think about that. Yeah. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, I think it answers his. My question too is, so he mentions to the disciples that they're going to be on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He mentioned that they'll kind of be judging their own kingdoms. We're Gentiles. We're not part of any of the tribes of Israel. Are we going to be part of those kingdoms, separate kingdoms? How's yeah, so you have to go to Revelation for that. And so really there's there's two subsets of 12. So you have the 12 tribes of Israel, and then you have the 12 apostles of the church. And so we will fall under their rule and their authority. So they will be above us for sure. And so obviously Judas doesn't make it. When we get to Acts chapter one, a guy by the name of Mattathias is promoted to take his place. Okay, so um, then all of a sudden we get into this moment where Jesus is going to predict Peter's denial. Verses 31, 32, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Man, this is like a pretty incredible moment that Peter is having here with Jesus. And I'm just wondering, does Jesus still pray for people specifically like he's doing for Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he sits at the right hand of God and he still intercedes on our behalf. So he's still praying for his his followers and those who are faithful to him. And so what's interesting is not only not only do we pray, but Jesus prays for us, which he models in the gospels, right? He prays mm-hmm. for us, you know, he prays for Peter. Peter, I have prayed for you. Um, it's something that Jesus does because he loves us um, and then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us pray back to God and teaches us what to pray. So the Holy Spirit helps us pray as Jesus prays for us, and, and those two things work together. So yeah, Jesus is still at the right hand of God, 
interceding on our behalf because he is the high priest. And so the role of the high priest is a mediator between men and God and women and God, people and God. Mm -hmm. Jesus is our high priest. And so he constantly mediates between us and God. We will forever have a relationship with God because of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Even in the new earth, the reason we are connected with God is because of Jesus. That will never change. Um, so right after this conversation, Jesus is having this conversation with Peter because he knows that Peter's about to just totally deny him. Um, but then Jesus also knows that Peter's going to continue to lead in the future. So how can we know if people who have outright denied Jesus or have done terrible things, but are in the church, how do we know if they've actually repented and are okay to keep ministering and keep leading? Yeah. And so I think there's an example, right? So Peter, um, is able to be restored. Judas is not. And again, not all sins are the same. So, so, so what happened? What did you do? You know, anybody can fall. Anybody can um, get caught up into sin and stumble. And certainly those things happen. For me, you know, I look at, you know, you know, cause, cause like any of us by the grace of God can fall, but is there a pattern of deception? You know, what, what Peter didn't plot, he didn't plan, he didn't conspire. Mm-hmm. He screwed up. Mm-hmm. Judas plotted, planned, had meetings, had secret meetings, right? did all of this stuff in secret, pursued the high court, set all this stuff up. And so whenever you have that, whenever you have a leader intentionally engaging in deception, Hmm. I think that they are forever disqualified from ministry. That doesn't mean that they can't come back to Christ. Doesn't mean they can't repent from their sins. They can't be saved. What it means is, in my opinion, they should not ever be restored to leadership. And I believe that if a person is truly repentant, they'll be okay with that. So the first thing that tells me that a person is not repentant is when they care more about restoration to position than forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so if I ever, God forbid, fail morally or whatever, what needs to be my biggest concern is not being come, becoming Sandals pastor again. It needs to be, right, the condition of my soul. It needs to be the respect and honor of my family. Those need to be the pursuits of my life for the rest of my life, not reattaining my position. Because the, Paul, the Apostle Paul says you can become disqualified. You can disqualify yourself based upon behaviors. And again, if you're a leader, more is required of you. That's what the Bible says. And it says it all the way through. And so, um, you know, we can love on our leaders. We, they can participate in community. Uh, I think they can exercise their gifts at a lower level. But when you see intentional deception, and especially if it's over a period of time, you should, uh, you should never follow a leader, I believe, who has intentionally practiced over a period of their time deception. That's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I believe it's disqualifying. Somebody can, you know, get screwed up, get in a situation and yeah, they blew it. We can work with them to restore. And so my heart's to restore, but, you know, I, I'm always concerned. And again, when I see pastors that fail and they tell me that they're upset at how their congregation handled the restoration, I'm like, you're not repentant, dude. Hmm. Because, I mean, here you are, and this is what's always amazing to me, is people who need the most grace are so unwilling to give it to others. So I screwed up as a pastor. I messed up. I lied to Sandals Church. I lied to my wife, whatever I did, but I'm going to judge Sandals and how they handled me, how they treated me. Okay, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hopefully my attitude would be, I'm just grateful for the love that I got from Sandals Church, whatever it was because a recipient of grace should be able to give grace. And so that's one of the things that I, I think when a leader is truly repentant, they're not going to be judgmental for how others didn't forgive them. That's what I think. Yeah, man, good stuff. 
Um, so at the very end of this time together here, Peter responds to this whole deal, and he says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you something. <laughs> Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. And he, why is Jesus saying this? Is he just kind of like putting Peter in his place? Yeah, Peter's an idiot here. you know. And I think a lot of us <laughs> as Christians are, right? We all... We all we all have these ideas of 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 who we're going to be and what and what and what's going to happen and um, you know I shared with you guys you know that I was uh, in, involved with an attempted murder I wasn't trying to kill somebody <laughs> let's be clear, but, uh, clear. Uh, uh, at least you're not being deceptive about it yeah a crazy it. a crazy homeless lady uh, I was in Hawaii last week like you know and, and if you've been to Hawaii there's a lot of crazy homeless people there and they do drugs and got very very upset and um, you know so in my mind right I'm always going to be the hero. I'm always going to save the day. I'm going to jump in. Man, when this woman is swinging this pickaxe trying to kill people, I got to be honest with you. My first thought was, I'm going to get stabbed. Like, I wasn't thinking hero. I was thinking, I am going to die. Like, I, I, I was in such shock. And so I think Peter here, right, he's talking, he's talking big, man. He's big talker guy. Yeah, when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. And Let me tell you something. When, when someone starts swinging an axe at you, which I never thought in my life I would experience, but she's swinging this ax at me after I saw her stick it in a dude, right? In his back, okay? So it's not like she's threatening. Yeah. She, she legitimately, <laughs> she through with this she legitimately stabbed this guy yeah, right in front of me with this thing. This. So she, yeah, she has proven, she has proven that she is not a hypocrite. She is, <laughs> she is, she is 100% authentic about killing people. And uh, so I'm standing there and, and, and I just was really, I really had a process. Oh, I'm not nearly as brave as I thought I would. And ultimately I, I did, you know, help tackle her after the lifeguard jumped on her back. <laughs> so, but you know, I, Peter, and I think we're all so full of ourselves. We all think we're going to be these bold, brave people. And, and that's what Peter thought. And the truth is some girl asks him if he knows Jesus and he's like, Oh, heck no. No, 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 no. And he says, you know, I'm willing to die. I am willing to die for you, go to prison for you. And I've heard pastors say that, and it's just like, yeah, we'll see. Hmm. We'll see. You know you're willing to die for Jesus when you die for Jesus. That's when you know. Mm -hmm. You know, we all say stupid things, just like when people get married. I'm going to love you forever. We'll see. We'll see. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, And you know when you know that you know that? When your spouse dies and you've been married 50 years, that you loved them forever. That's when you know. Mm -hmm. We all make these big promises and these big oaths, and Peter's saying, Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the very end. Jesus says, you ain't even going to finish the night. Hmm. Think about it. Right. You're, you're, before before the, the rooster crows in the morning, and it's probably, you know, 10, 1030 at night. So eight hours are not going to pass, Peter, and you're going to bail on me three times, you know, multiple times. And, and, and it's not like soldiers, mm-hmm. you know, it's a female servant, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like a made at Mission Inn. Yeah. You, do you go to Sandals? Nay, hell no. No, 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 no. Never been to Sandals. Don't know. No, never heard of that church. Right? Right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, sorry for those of you. He cussed yeah, yeah. in the Bible. So, and we don't know exactly how he cussed, but he swore. So, you know, never never seen the guy. Never That's followed a, him. So, it's a pretty good guesstimation of how it went. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds about right to me. Yeah. Okay, so then this part is crazy. Jesus is saying, you know, the time, my time has come, and this is going to be how it is. And then they reply, look, Lord, we have two swords among us. And, and he just goes, that's enough. 
Right. Well, well, okay, so this is a weird passage. He tells them to buy swords. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most difficult passages to understand because as far as we can tell, Jesus is a pacifist. And so the church has struggled historically with what to do here. And um, I think the best way to interpret this is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany mm-hmm. during World War II, really struggled with what to do with Adolf Hitler. What is the church's response to Hitler? Because we're called to be pacifists, basically. And so what that means is Christians are to be against war whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Like we, we are to be, you know, love our enemies, right? Like that's a command. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a command. But then what do you do with someone like Adolf Hitler? Mm-hmm. Where by you being a pacifist, what you're actually doing is you're participating in the murder of innocent people. So the church has wrestled with this. And I, I think what Jesus is saying here is, guys, you got to protect yourselves because things are going to get crazy here. And I need you guys to change the world. So make sure, make sure that you, 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 you know, you can take care of this. But then, then what's weird is the disciples misunderstand what he says. And so Peter cuts off his ear and right. Jesus is like, stop, stop, yeah. stop. Um, but he's like, you just told me to use swords. Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's just one of those passages that ultimately nobody understands what Jesus means. I told you what I think it means, but nobody yeah. knows. It's it's a weird passage. It's difficult for Christians to assert. It doesn't really seem to fit. It's just bizarre. And then only get two swords, right? Like, how's that helpful? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, we're going to fight the Roman army, get two swords. Yeah. So I mean, a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. Like, yeah. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah. I can almost picture Peter, though. He's going out so zealous that he's like, he's I told you I'd tonight, go to prison. Yeah. I told you I would do it. And uh, yeah, here he goes. Okay, so they, from here, they leave dinner. They go out uh, to the Mount of Olives, which is, we talked about, Jesus's mm-hmm. favorite camping spot. Yes. So Jesus is up here, and he's praying to God, and he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus clearly knows that his whole life is leading up to this moment. Why do you think he's asking God right now to get out of it? Well, for the same reason, right, Peter. Peter says, I'm willing to die for you. It's easy to say that. It's another thing to do it. Hmm. Hmm. So Jesus knows what his whole life is about, but now the hour is at hand. And I don't think there's anything wrong. You know, right? Christians are not supposed to be careless with their life. We're not supposed to be stupid with our life. And so Jesus is saying, look, if there's any other way, now's a good time to, uh, <laughs> Let to, me know. to uh, you know, um, uh, unveil plan B. Right. And, but what he says here is, so, and again, I think this is a great picture for all of us to pray. So you have cancer. God please take this cancer away. But if it's your will that I die of cancer, then help me to submit to that. Because what Christians do is we get bitter when God doesn't answer the prayer the way we want it. And what Jesus is modeling here is how to pray when you're facing the worst situation of your life. It says he's sweating drops of blood. So God, heal my marriage. But ultimately, if my marriage isn't healed, help me to submit to your will and not become embittered and unfaithful. God, heal my child. Think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Parents lose their kids. God, please heal my child. But if my child dies, help me to submit to your will. Because what's it about? Ultimately, it's God's will. And so we don't understand it. It doesn't always make sense. We don't know why in the book of Acts, James gets beheaded, but Peter is saved. And God does not owe us an explanation. We are to ask what we are to ask for. And ultimately, a part of our asking has to be, you are God. And if it's your will, then it's your will. My life is in your hands. And so I think Jesus is giving us an extraordinarily powerful example of how to pray. 
in this in this passage. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's trying to duck it, but right if he if he doesn't have to die, mm-hmm. you know he's not. Mm-hmm. What I want you to see here is he's not committing suicide. He's committing a sacrificial death. He's saying, God, I would love I would love to live here, mm-hmm. but ultimately your will is done. And it's not just fear that he. It's not just death that he's afraid of. It's a separation of God. Right. Yeah, man, we have our Good Friday episode of The Debrief back in the archives. If you are a new listener and have not uh, heard that, you can find it there in the uh, archives in your podcast player. It's really good. About a 45-minute conversation on just that specific question. So um, moving straight out of there, here's what I was reading. When Jesus is fully betrayed and arrested by Judas, um, Jesus, Judas, excuse me, shows up with all the soldiers and they come here to arrest him. And Jesus really now is the guy who gets the ball rolling. And he says, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And here's what I'm wondering. Is Jesus asking a question or is he just stating the obvious? Yeah, I think he's stating the obvious because it's just, I mean, think about how treacherous this is, right? So what's a kiss? It's 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 a blessing. It's 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 an act of love, but what's happening here is the exact opposite. Hmm. You know, it's like putting poison on your lips and kissing somebody to kill them. It's terrible, mm-hmm. and it's it's the most horrific way to betray somebody. And so, why a kiss? Because it's pitch black, right? There's not street lights. They're out. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke doesn't tell us they're in the Garden of Gethsemane because he's writing to a Roman audience, and it would be like saying. Um, you know, Fairmont Park. I mean, how, how yeah. is someone in New York going to know where Fairmont Park is in Riverside? So he would just say Riverside. So Mount of Olives is a general description of where they are, but they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're in an orchard camping. Mm-hmm. It's pitch black. The only light they have is torches. So, right, it's, it's going to be confusing. And they're trying to catch Jesus alone. So this is a rushed event. They don't want to confront him and arrest him with the crowds because the people love Jesus and, and all through that. So, you know, um, the Bible's very, very clear that the Jews in mass loved Jesus. It was the Jewish leadership that hated him and they saw him as a threat. And so this whole thing is an attempt to grab him quickly, but there's some confusion as to who he is. So it's nighttime. So they're all gonna be in cloaks. And it's going to be, I mean, they're probably going to be dressed very, very similar. So who is, they all have beards. They're all Middle Eastern men, Yeah. right? Who is who? And so uh, Judas's job is to go up and identify who Jesus is. So uh, don't make fun of me here, but when I was reading through Luke 22 this time around, I instantly thought of that moment in towards the end of The Force Awakens, where Han Solo goes out on the bridge in the middle of Starkiller base to meet Kylo Ren. And he basically almost like, participates in his own death, right? right? Which is moving on in the story. And that's what I was thinking of when you see Jesus going out to, like he approaches Judas. And I just was wondering, is he trying to help Judas? Or even like he's trying to remind Peter, hey, come back to the fold after you screw up. Is he trying to help Judas restore? No, no. Judas is, Judas is done. His fate is sealed. He is uh, filled with Satan, not just with a demon, with Satan. He is eternally damned mm-hmm. forever okay. at this point. And Jesus actually says the hour of evil is at hand. Mm-hmm. So this is the this is the hour of darkness. This is the this is the moment when the devil thinks he's won. And Judas is the tool by which the devil thinks he's killed God. Because right, the devil doesn't understand how is it that God became a human being, maybe this is how I kill him forever. Hmm. 
because he submitted himself to this fully human process. And if I can kill the son of God, then right, I'm free. So that's interesting though, that you see Han Solo as Jesus. I've never put well, just in that one little moment. Together, yeah. Clearly you're very connected. Um, so then we actually come back now to the moment where Peter denies Jesus. Um, and then the rooster crows and it ends with Peter weeping. So Peter promised that he wouldn't deny Jesus. And he clearly does. Is there no sin that we can't come back from? Yeah. So, so this is confusing. So John says that there are sins that lead unto death and we should not pray for those who commit them. Problem is he doesn't tell us what those sins are. Right. So the only sin that we can see in the Bible is um, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which even that is confusing. So the Catholic mm-hmm. Church tried to figure this out. Have you heard of the seven deadly sins? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And so th- these were the sins that were considered, you know, unto death. So these are the things that you couldn't pray for people. They couldn't be absolved um, of, you know, and you know it's really difficult. We we just don't know what they are, but there are there are times when people are too far gone. And I've said that before and I'll say it again. And, you know, we, we want to believe that people can come back. Like, for example, like your illustration with Han Solo, mm-hmm. he believes that his son can come back and that didn't work out real well. Right. So maybe ultimately he will. I don't know, but we're now talking about Star Wars again. <laughs> but, you know, there's this fascination uh, in culture today. Like think of the Wizard of Oz, right? The green witch is, is evil. But now we have, uh, what's the new? The Wicked. The wicked, right? Mm-hmm. Where it talks about how she's really a good person and she's misunderstood. So we're fascinated in our culture now that wicked, evil people are really good. We just haven't given them a chance. But for most of human history, we've been able to say, you're an evil person, right? There was good and there was bad. And in our modern culture, we have a hard time with that. And and it's because we've moved further and further away from biblical understanding. But some people are are going to be children of wrath. They're going to be destroyed forever. And Judas is one of those people. I believe he had a choice. He made the wrong choice and ultimately became consumed with the devil. And um, it was it was too late for him. And I think people can make choice after choice after choice where they numb themselves to you know the calling of of the spirit of God. And, and what's amazing is and, and 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 so are people too far gone? No. And again, we talked about Revelation. Again, even in the final judgment of God, people still don't repent. And I always think of the reason that God must have pointed that out in Revelation is that they must still have an opportunity to repent and, hmm. and declare loyalty to God, but they don't. And not only do they not declare loyalty to God, they worship the beast. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they, they align with the beast. Hmm. So think about that, the, this, this wicked, ugly, terrible thing. They, they would rather be with that than with God. And that just shows something about the human condition that repentance, whenever it happens, is a miracle. Hmm. It's a miracle every time. We think of miracles like, oh, that person got healed with cancer. The greatest miracle in the history of the earth is when a heart of stone is turned into a heart of flesh and a person has becomes born again. That's the greatest miracle that we'll ever see. Totally. Hmm. Uh, so this whole chapter closes out and Jesus has now been arrested and he's standing before the council in verse 70. Uh, it says, they're all shouting, so are you claiming to be the son of God? And Jesus replied, you say that I am. So, man, this is like a pretty critical moment. Why is he being so aloof here? What point is he trying to make? Yeah, I think he's trying to not make it easy on him. Hmm. He, he, I think he's um, he knows that if he says, because he talks about here, you won't answer any of my questions. So what he's saying is you're not interested in a true dialogue. Okay. So because you're not going to answer my questions, I'm not going to answer your questions. 
And ultimately, he doesn't answer at all. The other gospels record until the high priest says that this is sin not to answer the high priest when he speaks. And then then he does speak in the other gospels. But here, or maybe, it, I can't remember. I got a little confused. Maybe it's next week in Luke 23. But ultimately, he does speak. But he says, it is, a, or you say that I am. And so what he's saying is, the reason you're trying to kill me is because you believe that I've said that I am the son of God. Yeah, that's right here. And um, so they've heard him correctly. Mm-hmm. And then they say, we have enough evidence. But what, he, what he's not doing is, is he's, he's proving that his death is ultimately rigged. The whole thing is rigged. It's a kangaroo court. This should have never happened. This is a violation of Jewish law. They're, they're breaking their own law. Mm-hmm. Think about this. This is the definition of hypocrisy, right? They're going to kill Christ because he's breaking the law of God. And so to do that, they break the law of God. And, 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 and Luke 23 will tell us that there were several Pharisees who did not consent to the trial and murder of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They did not agree with it. So yeah, I, I think he's being elusive there just because he doesn't want to hand himself, over. he doesn't want to give them an excuse to do it. They've got to lie, cheat, and steal. And, and they, they try to produce false witnesses and they do all this stuff um, because he wants them to know they're guilty. And they are. Man, that was a lot of good stuff. That is a super long chapter. Longest mm-hmm. chapter ever, Dude, man. Gosh. I just want to point out, you just pulled off a double kangaroo, man. Two unique episodes, or two unique mentions of kangaroos in one podcast episode. I <laughs> talked about kangaroos twice? I can't oh, remember. kangaroo court, yeah. Kangaroo court. Yeah. And kangaroos are scary, they box. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think kangaroos are scary. They can kick yeah, you. They're tall. You seem to be frightened of a lot of animals. Because I think kangaroos, llamas. Has a healthy fear of Llamas? Like, I got chased by a llama in Peru. Okay, well... There what have kangaroos ever done to you other than look cute and hop around? He's seen what they've done to other people. He's just learning from others' mistakes. Kangaroos yeah. hurt people? I bet we can find some stuff. When I, I was a kid, I think I saw watch a video of a guy boxing a kangaroo. See? And it was bad. <laughs> yeah. That's what the internet is for. Well, so yeah. we don't have to fight kangaroos. We can see Well, the internet is also for in, uh, empowering and bringing this wonderful show to you guys yeah. every single week. Thank you for uh, tuning in here, joining us on The Debrief. We super appreciate that. And we do want to say... Uh, thanks to those of you guys who have been supporting the show, picking up those debrief mm-hmm. t-shirts. Yes. Uh, listen, you look stunning. You, you look really re- do. You, really, you look great in that shirt. If you want to join us, we still got some more of those available at all of our campuses. I was very excited to be up at Sandals Church Woodcrest this week, seeing people snoop in on their... Uh, de- swoop, snoop you know, in. They were snoop swooping in, in snooping. buying some of those debrief t-shirts. And Shit. then I said, I think you're making a great purchase. And they said, I like your voice. I was like, it's it's a sweet deal. Then we're all pleased here in this moment. So uh, sure, thank that's you. Exactly how that went down. Thank you to those of you guys that are doing it. Um, if you can continue to do that, uh, we're trying to buy some more gear here to help make the podcast even better for you. And mm-hmm. listen, this show is not free, people. And uh, we've been really uh, working hard to make it as awesome as we can for you. And if you've been benefiting from the debrief and you want to help support that, if you head on over to sandalsearch.com slash give, we would love for you guys to uh, help us join the movement as we try and increase and uh, continue to push out the debrief. And I'll just be honest with you. We, you know, we're thinking about launching a whole other awesome podcast to continue to bring sweet knowledge and inspiration and insight and authenticity into your lives. That's so, so many good things. Exactly. You can um, help us out. You can help us out. Speaking of good things, Stephanie, you ready to bring an uh, inspirational quote here? I would love to. This week's inspirational short quote is short but sweet. Love is a battlefield. That's a great song. Is One that, inspira- is that inspirational 80s. in any way? I'd like mm. to think that when Pat Benatar sang that song, she was giving us an inspirational quote. That's Pat Benatar, right? Yes. Okay, thank God. Uh, so right? I'm just, I'm just gonna, gonna I'm just gonna close my nest. not only as a song lyric but as an inspirational quote. My next wedding ceremony. Love is a battlefield, and Jesus died on that battlefield to save us because of His love for us. Boom! Wow! Ooh. 